It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, the 200th edition. All right, who would have thought when I first started, we'd be saying 200th edition. And along the way, I picked up some passengers. And the young man, yes, I said young man, that means I'm old, (laughs) has decided to come in on my tradition he is a legend he's known not just in wichita but throughout the world for his dynamic play-by-play calling he's actually called football games for wichita state sounds kind of long but he is the legendary one and only mike kennedy mike welcome aboard the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, if I may say, all aboard. Well, thank you. And after that lead-in, there's no way to live up to that introduction, but I'll do my best to at least contribute and congratulations on hitting this milestone. It's outstanding. Yeah, it is. I mean, to think about 200, when I started this, I can give the little background. I started, I was working at KGSO radio station as a board operator, ran to a guy named Rick Thomason. Then COVID set in, but we'd always talked about starting a podcast. Well, when COVID set in and everything shut down, I'm at home bored. I said, well, you know, let me just try this this podcast thing. And then your good buddy, Scott, he was at KGSO at the time. I would call it to him. He said, who does a podcast for only 15 minutes? So, <laughs> but I've been grateful and blessed to have people like you on my show so you know, a lot has happened since the last time we talked, and that seemed like years ago, and it's only been a short time. But we've seen the landscape of Wichita State athletics, from basketball to the changing of the guard for our athletic director. We've seen the ups and downs of the basketball program. Uh, but I will still say this, even though they had a down season this past season, they still was one game at least above 500. What is your outlook on Wichita State basketball with the turnover in players? Because secretly, I'll say we're looking at a possible 20 plus win season. But what's your take on that? 
You know, I hate to get too bold in in predictions simply because it's such a new roster. And I, you know, I only know these new guys by reputation and statistics. I haven't seen them play yet, but but I'm enthusiastic about the possibilities uh, just to be as honest as I can be. And this is not a this is not a slam on anybody individually at all, but uh, but last year, Wichita State, uh, there was a perception out there early on, I think, that this was such a talented team. You'd see those comments on social media about how talented this team is, and it really was was under-talented, if you will, at the highest levels of the American Conference. They were just outmatched, out-talented by two or three of the best teams in the conference. And so uh, there was a need for a talent upgrade. I, I think the coaching staff has addressed this. I know people were alarmed at, a, at the amount of turnover, the number of players that left. But when you look at the players that they have brought in and what they have already done at the Division One level, I think it's uh, at least very encouraging. I think, uh, as you said, certainly there is the potential there for 20 or more wins again. It's just it's so hard to say in this climate that we're in now in college athletics. Absolutely. And, and the reason I went on record and said 20-plus wins is because when you look at turnover rate, you, the first thing you think of is, how long will it take for this team to jail? What else is going on in the conference? But at the same time, I also say 20 wins because this is a team that could quite possibly fly under the radar because of the fact you're thinking they have to have time to jail and it's a new roster. But the key factor is you have some players, Kenny Poto, Craig Porter, and that's what you're going to hang your hat on as being the leaders on this team. Now, With all that being said, what position is Isaac Brown in because of the fact that now my personal feeling is you may feel feel to differentiate from what I'm getting ready to say, but does it seem like with the new athletic director coming in, now he has to prove himself to the athletic director because with every changing of the guard, we have to always remember that the coach that's on – board right now is not that athletic director's choice of coach and he may have one in mind in case the coach doesn't succeed so what position does this put Isaac Brown in as far as coaching and recruiting well I think it's kind of like what you stated uh he's going to have to prove himself kind of all over again but I think you know in this particular situation, that's kind of true with a lot of the fan base as well as the new AD and, and so forth. And I think, I think he understands that and realizes it. Uh, he's been in a unique position all the way through. I mean, the very first year he became sort of a last minute interim head coach, had a really outstanding year, won a conference title, went to the NCAA. And then this past year with higher expectations, I think, uh, the team did not perform as well. And so there was a lot of negative feedback. And so, uh, you know, I think he he realizes, even if there had not been a change in the AD's office, that there was something to prove this year. And, uh, you know, I think he's, like I say, they set out to upgrade the roster, make it a more talented roster. Uh, all of those things were in their mind anyway. And and I'm sure he's he's been around college basketball for a long time. 
Uh, he's been with different head coaches in different situations. So I think he certainly gets it, certainly understands that, uh, you know, he's going to be evaluated by this new AD and, and has to prove himself. And I don't, I don't think that he'll back off from that at all. Absolutely. So let's go on record. How many years has it been since you've been the voice for Wichita State? This coming year will be my 43rd as the full-time play-by-play broadcaster. There were four years before that that I did a handful of games uh, when it was uh, under the auspices of Cake Radio and TV. Uh, I did the games on radio when they were televised, which was six or eight games a year. But full-time, this will be my my 43rd year. And I have to ask this, what is it that keeps you going? Because I haven't seen the Energizer Bunny commercial, so I'm going to take it that that battery has died. So you got more energy than the Energizer Bunny. What keeps you going? It's fun. Um, it, it's just really a fun thing to do. It's a fun job. Uh, I look forward to it every day. And, uh, it, you know, I think doing what I do helps keep me young. I enjoy being around young people that age. That helps uh, keep me going and keep me young. Um so I, I think that's the main thing. It's, uh, you know, there's some things, some of the travel and stuff's a little more tiring than it used to be when I was younger. But for the most part, my my energy is still good. My health is good. My enthusiasm is as high as it ever was. And so, um, you know, I, I really look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. So you've been around for quite a long time. So you've seen coaches, you have seen players, you have probably can evaluate in your sleep. So if you had to come up with a Mount Rushmore for a basketball team, who would be on your Mount Rushmore? And I know that's kind of a tight spot to put you in, but you've seen it all. You know it all. So I'm pretty sure that what you say, we could take it to the bank. Now, this is Wichita State you're talking about. Wichita State basketball. Well, uh, certainly Dave Stallworth. Xavier McDaniel, Antoine Carr, um, Fred Van Vliet at point guard, I think is the best ever that ever played here. I felt like he was when he was here, and then he's gone on to even, uh, you know, go beyond that with what he's done in the NBA. Um, those would be Warren Warren Armstrong, who became Warren Jabali. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe is not as well remembered as he should be for as great a player as he was. So that would be the, uh, and then I never actually saw him play in person uh, other than on that game or two when he was with the Wichita Vickers right at the end of his career. But, but Cleo Littleton got it all started was the first, you know, really great contemporary player at Wichita state. So those, at least those names would be high up on that, that Mount Rushmore for me. Okay. Now I'm going to see if this is a tough one for you. Of course, I don't think anything is tough for you. Wichita State football. We don't ever want to forget Wichita State football. And what's the question? Mount Rushmore, Wichita State Ah, football. Um, Certainly Linwood Sexton, uh, who, of course, was right after World War II, but uh, was their first great player at what's now the Division I level. They had joined the Missouri Valley Conference right after World War II. He was a great player for them. Uh, 
Ted Dean was one of the first players I saw. I don't know if that's a name that's very well remembered either. He was from Pennsylvania. He played here in the late 50s, 57, 8, and 9. He was the rookie of the year in the NFL with the Philadelphia Eagles in 1960 and scored the winning touchdown in the championship game against the Packers. And then he, he was hurt after that. He really had a fairly short NFL career, but a great running back. Uh, Hank Schiestel is a personal friend of mine, had a tremendous year in 1963. The senior quarterback was up among the national leaders in several categories. And Bob Long, who had been a backup basketball player and had never played football, broke all the receiving records, went on to play for some of the Packers' great championship teams. So uh, from earlier years, certainly those that would be, would be some that were up there. Um, Jim Waskevich was a lineman, linebacker from Wichita East, who went on to play several years in the AFL and NFL. Uh, and then, you know, during the years that I broadcast, certainly Prince McJunkins at quarterback and yes. Jumpy Gathers at defensive tackle, um, you know, were some of the, you know, the great players of the, the last era of Shocker football. And you mentioned Jumpy Gathers. And what's so unique about him, I believe that he was the last Wichita State football player to play in the NFL on record that I can recall. And he had a long career in the NFL, as a matter of fact. I think he played at least well over 10 years. So that still speaks volumes. And the fact of this right here, when you look at records in the NCAA record book of longest field goals, with or without the T, there is still the name Joe Williams. So that means we have some history in the history books that can't be erased. And then this piece of history right here, Wichita State, the first school to hire an African-American to head coach their football team. So there are some things that just can't be erased. So those are some points right there and your comments on that. Well, you know, that's that's something that they were actually um, sort of leaders in, even going way, way back farther. Uh, I did uh, one year my, when my wife was the uh, CEO of the Alumni Association, she put together a, an all, all years football reunion and we put together a video. And one of the things I discovered in doing that research in the late 1920s, 1927, 28, right in there, they had a couple of African-American football players when nobody did, almost no, all white universities had black players at that time. I mentioned Linwood Sexton. He was the, uh, the first, at least prominent African-American athlete in the Missouri Valley Conference. And uh, so they were, they were always kind of a leader in that area. When Cleo Littleton played basketball here uh, you know there were a couple of places that they were uh, not going to let him play the first year Houston was in the league they said he couldn't come to Houston so the Valley got proactive and made Houston play two games in Wichita and after that they said okay he can come because we don't want to have to play road games every year so <laughs> Wichita State you know even before hiring Willie Jeffries uh, had made a lot of inroads in uh in granting opportunities for African-American athletes. I think that's something that they should always be really proud of. So basically, with what you just said, there is some history that should actually go tie in with Black History Month. So Wichita State, we have to say kudos to that. Well, Absolutely. That, yeah, absolutely. I would say that's true. Absolutely. So now here, here's what I want to do. I want to kind of shift a little bit. We're still talking Wichita State, but TBT Wichita State. 
how how vested are you in you know paying attention to that because this will actually be their third year playing because one year COVID interrupted things and I've seen some of the news on Twitter and I want to get your take and if you can't give me a take that's fine too I understand but the original coach of TBT team and I think he was one of the founding members of it was one Karan Bradley who had a nice career plan at Wichita State and there hasn't been much said as to why he hasn't returned well if you're on the Twitter board you see it but is there any controversy behind the reason reasoning of him not being asked to come back and why they've gone in the direction they've gone of course I'm gonna still pay attention to TBT I'm just wondering if maybe you have any insight and if you care to share that feel free if there's reasons that won't allow you then I also understand that as well too but I thought he was a good fix when he was on board the first time around you know I have none as far as insight into any of that um, I mean he lives in Houston and so I always just figured that might have something to do with it it's kind of long distance for him to be organizing anything up here i think maybe he's expanded some of the things that he's doing down there it may just be busier now there may be more to it than that but if there is i i truly don't know uh but obviously yeah it was a, a wichita state guy and uh has always been uh he's come back every once in a while for games and so forth it's always been you know very supportive of the program and so um you know, if there is controversy of some type, that's too bad because uh, he's a great guy. And uh, but it's not anything that I'm aware of now. Okay. So do you expect big things from this current roster coming up as far as the TBT? Because the one thing Wichita can say, and even I heard on a talk show, they was talking about the TBT. They say Wichita State people they really support TBT. They are, they have the best crowd out of all the teams in the tournament. Is there a possibility we can get that championship game in Wichita if they really want to draw the big money? Well, I think the only other place that it does, and I haven't compared the numbers, I think the only other place it does as well or close to it is in Dayton where they have the finals now. And uh, that's another city like this one that just loves college basketball. Uh, that's why they've been able to keep that those first four games there in the NCAA tournament every year because uh, whether there's a local team of interest or not, the Dayton people really get out and support those games and turn out well for that. So uh, I don't know, but, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that Wichita State could be considered for something like that. Uh, but, but Dayton has also supported it well when it's gotten to that level. One thing that's kind of interesting, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, this year they've added an extra step to the uh, the regional sites. And so instead of going to Dayton for the quarterfinal round, like the winner here will stay here and play a, uh, a quarterfinal round game here. And just the, the semifinalists go to Dayton for the semifinals and finals. So they've actually, and I think it has to do a lot with uh, the kind of crowds they've drawn here in Wichita that, uh, that they feel like that level of game, you know, especially if the if the aftershocks are still in it, will draw more people here than those same teams might in Dayton for a, a quarterfinal round game. All right. Well, in closing, like I said, you've been around a while, and I'm pretty sure there are some people that have probably sat up under you. If there was someone that wanted to be the next Mike Candy, or and I'm pretty sure you would tell them to be the next themselves, 
But if someone wants to break into the business and follow in the trail that you have blazed, what would your words of advice be to them? Well, any young people that have ever talked to me about doing what I do, uh, I tell them, you know, what I do is basically a, it's a skill. It's a, uh, you know, a set of tools, if you will. And it's just something that you have to develop by doing. There's not, there's not a lot you can read that's going to teach you how to do it. Uh, it's not like there's a handbook. It's, it's something that you just have to develop over time by doing. Even doing something like you're doing with this podcast, I'm sure you found that the more you do it, the more you get a feel for what works, how to do it, how to put together questions and that sort of thing. And it's the same way with, with doing play-by-play. I just got a, uh, an email from a friend who has a 13-year-old son. He said he has started doing play-by-play uh, watching games on TV and wanted to know if he could come up and sit in with me sometime at a baseball game and just see how I kind of do things. And I said, of course, but that's kind of how I started. Uh, I actually did uh, when I played games all by myself in my backyard when I was a kid, I'd do play-by-play. And then, you know, watching games on TV, turn the sound down, anything you can do to practice it. And there are, you know, some opportunities now because of all the stuff that's online and so forth. There, there are more opportunities doing that than there used to be. So uh, that would be my, that would be my thought. Learn, learn the sports, learn the, the, the technical stuff about each sport as much as you can, know the rules, know who the players are, but find a way to practice it. Practice doing it, learning to use the terminology, all that sort of thing. Uh, that's that would be my best advice. And trust me, I actually wanted to do what you were doing. I, I used to do the same thing as a kid. I would look at the TV and turn the volume down and be like, "Oh!" And he just dropped the well. They weren't using the term like he dropped a dime of a pass. But I would say, "What a great assist to such and such." And I'm like, "I'm gonna be like you one day." Well, close as I can get, <laughs> I'm podcasting, so. I want to thank you once again for the time that you took out to do this. Much appreciated. And hopefully we can hook up again sometime during one of the seasons, basketball, and get some insight on what you, how you think the season is going. But once again, I want to thank you again, my guest on board the A-Train, the legendary Mike Kennedy. Thanks again, sir. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, keep me in mind for the 300th. I will do that. Once again, Mike Candy, my guest on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Always great to reach out to him. Such an humble man. Steps down off of the level that I put him on and come down to common ground. Once again, my good friend, Mike Kennedy. Well, <clears throat> stay tuned. I do have some more to come on the A-Train Sports Talk. We have some more guests lined up. For this my 200th episode, which I am glad to still be around doing this. So just stay put and I'll be back with some more news and another guest.
is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your podcast for sports and so much more. Thank you for listening to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. If you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or you can simply email me. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. Once again, it's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. train sports talk podcast with your host and conductor anthony smith grab your tickets get on board and enjoy the ride it's the a train sports talk podcast all aboard It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, episode number 200. I've had one guest on. I'm not going to reveal his name until I get into the interview with the second guest. The second guest is known for golfing, known for using phrases such as hay rates, And other adjectives and adverbs to describe people, but he's well known for his what's called sports files with styles. Welcome aboard the A train. It is Scott Styles. Man, I'm so elated to have you on here. This has been years in the making. As I shared with my first guest, you were one of the ones that called me out while you was on air and said, who does a podcast in 15 minutes? <laughs> and I've, I've had to grow and put my big boy pants on since then, but man, this has been years in the making trying to get you on here. If I can describe how getting you on has been, it's been as difficult as the defensive lineman chasing down Barry Sanders. But yeah, I hear you. the reason I'm so happy to have you on here even more so because I know that you have gone through a lot I can just come in and lead in like this. You are a living testimony. You are an inspiration. And that makes this day even more blessed and more momentous to have such a great outstanding man on like you. Scott, how are you doing? Well, I appreciate it, Anthony. You know, yeah, there was a time where uh, we didn't know if we'd even be here today. And, uh, you know, just uh, uh, Shani and I uh, had a lot of great friends and and, and uh, uh, people that just really supported us. and we just relied on our faith and everything. And uh, by the grace of God, I think we're going to be okay. And I uh, go back to Mayo Clinic uh, July 27th for another scan and possibly another biopsy. But I, I think we're going to be pretty good. Absolutely. One of the things I want to talk about, and I'll probably be all over the board here. I don't have no notes. But uh, 
one of the things I want to talk about, because it's always refreshing to hear your voice on the radio, and I noticed this before the second year I've heard it, because the first time I was working at JR Custom, and the guy actually had his radio on. What was it like during the Wichita Open and to have your voice heard again on the radio, along with such people yeah. like Mike Kennedy? You know, it's great working with Mike and Jay Delling. You know, they've been doing it for 33 years, and just to get asked to be, a, you know, a, a, to work with them is really an honor. And, and uh, you know, just the privilege of walking. It's about 7.2 miles a day in the heat. It's not. A, it's not. A, it's not a, a fun job, but it's a job that you really. I mean, Shannon and I, for a month prior to that, walked two miles a day at 5:30 in the morning, just to kind of get ready for that event. Because I know what a grind it is, and uh, just the, the blessing, the privilege to watch those guys. Those guys are so good, and yet, you know, they're still not on the top tour of the PGA. You know, they're still grinding, trying to make it, and uh, but uh, just to be able to be, you know, feet away from these guys and watch them hit shot after shot, and the conversations with the caddies, and, and being able to relay that back to the listeners and to Jay and and uh, Mike because you know they're stationed at eight on hole eighteen, so. They're relying on us to paint a picture for 17 holes until they come down uh, the 18th fairway where they can you know, visually see them as well and then kind of get their own description of what they've seen on 18. So, um, you know, you try to kind of summarize the day, the highs and lows of the round. You kind of give little details here and there. And, uh, you know, like I said, you got you got to paint a picture for the listener because golf is really uh, not an easy thing to describe at times. Uh, you got to put a little bit into it to make sure the uh, listener can actually get a visual of what's going on. And I must say, the two years I've heard you on there, because I actually, when I know that's coming up, I'm like, I get to finally hear Scott's voice on the radio. You know, <laughs> it's like I have to wait once a year now to hear it, whereas I used to hear it every day. So, you know, that's, right. that's kind of a letdown, but it's also a good buildup, too. But in describing golf, I heard a national commentator say it like, no, I take it back. I think it was during the Wichita Open. They said, you wonder what you're going to talk about because golf is not one of those fast moving sports, but you have individuals out there that have stories that you can tell that fills the gap when you're not having nothing to talk about. So is that a true assessment? It is a true assessment. And also I would always find that I had a great dialogue. I would get out there early and meet my group for the day and the caddies and the caddies and I really, really would, uh, have a great interaction and be able to communicate with me what's going on what the club they're using they'll give you a hand signal and in between shots you know as you're walking sometimes they'll ask uh questions where the leader's at because there's not a leaderboard on every hole or you know what what's the leader up to that sort of thing and then also like uh um you know friday uh was cut day you know and there's a guy named diaz uh, whose wife and little baby were falling down throughout the day. And she came up to me on hole 15 or 14. It was, I said, uh, excuse me, sir. What is, what's the cut? And he was at 300. And I said, it's at four. And she wheeled around and ripped something off to him in Spanish. And I'll be darned if he just went, he went birdie birdie and made the cut by one. So, you know, just little stories like that where, you know, she gave him a little inspiration saying, I'm here for the weekend. You better you know make the cut. We need a check. And he did. And actually he had a hell of a run on, on that Sunday, he went to eight or nine under and ended up like at the top 10. He went to, to 15 or 16 under for the weekend. So, uh, so it's just, you know, you go from one, you know, one shot of missing the whole tournament to actually cashing out and getting and, and recording the top 10 finish. So, 
that's pretty special. So, but just little stories like that, that, you know, people behind the ropes can't usually hear or see and that sort of thing. So that, that's my job to, um, to, um, forward those details of those conversations to, you know, kind of make it a little more interesting to listen. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that caught my attention was when I seen you guys last week doing a live presentation, like I said, I'm going to probably be all over the board here, but I caught you on Facebook live last week with those hay rates. (laughs) (laughs) I have to throw that out there because those are words that are synonymous with Scott Styles. Okay. So what was it like doing that? I want to call it the original pit crew. You guys are the original. I remember you guys at that radio station and you lost 30 minutes of your life that you couldn't get back. And it took a non-radio guy to finally ask a question that made sense. So what was it like having you guys back together and what can we expect more of this show? Well, we're on every Thursday night from five to six on Facebook live. Uh, You get on my Facebook page, Scott Styles, Scott Shannon Styles, or, um, you know, you can get on Round the Track uh, radio show. I listen to that every Thursday night, Warren I and C. Ray Hall. You know, Warren's been announcing races for almost 40 years. This is my 16th year out here. I did some things uh, back home and then also in Florida. Uh, I, I did some ESPN and uh, some uh, dirt car national stuff down with NASCAR down in Florida for about a year. And uh, it was just a, a great experience for me to meet all those guys. I still have connections with some of those guys. And uh, it's uh, it's great to hear from them once in a while. When I uh, when I got sick, uh, it was unreal. Some of the people you never thought you'd hear from that reached out and said if you need anything or if you, you know whatever you need, we're there. And uh, so it was it was a true blessing because you know you don't expect that from some of those people that you know, have the world by the tail and they have so much more going on in their lives. And you know, little me, they don't have, you know you shouldn't have to worry about that, but they did, and that meant a lot to myself and to Shani and. And um, actually, uh, I'm going to be a little selfish here, but Shannon and I are starting a podcast probably next month, and we uh, named it Mulligans. And Mulligans is a golf term that when you get a second chance, if you hit a bad shot, and we're going to talk to uh, world leaders, we're going to talk to uh, national prominent people, motivators, uh, athletes from all over the United States and all over the world. Uh, we're getting our guests lined up now and it's going to be about second opportunities of maybe their hard times and how they rebounded and how they strive for their successes, but it's going to be called Mulligan. So it'll be interesting. Well, I'll be looking forward to listening at this podcast because I, I've been one of the ones I've been saying for the longest. Y'all need to do a podcast. I need to do a podcast. And I guess everything is all about timing. So now that you guys are finally going to do one, I'll finally have yeah. something else to put on my playlist. Uh, we, just, we have a, we have a studio. We have we had the microphones and all the equipment were just delivered this past week. And Andy Hoosier uh, is going to produce it for us. Uh, we're going to have it every and the show's going to be every other week. Andy Hoosier will produce it for us and send it out to all the uh, viewing outlets. So uh, we're excited about that. As you would say, outstanding. Yes, I took some of your vocabulary. Now, <laughs> I want to roll back a little bit because you were one of the finalists to be, I guess they call it the, the PA voice of the Shockers. And I guess it was a tight battle, and then I guess you end up being the PA voice of Sunrise Christian Academy. Of course, right. I would say that's not a bad step down when you know the history of Sunrise Christian Academy. And the no, players they produce year in and year out. And to be linked with such an outstanding man like a coach, uh, uh-oh, Luke Barnwell. 
right? Yep, yep. Luke's Luke's a great man. He just actually was over in Israel for two or three weeks with Dr. Lindstad, uh, who who owns Sunrise runs Sunrise Christian Academy, and you know uh, Luke does as a coach, but he's a great mentor to those kids and bringing God to the forefront for some of those kids' lives. You know, gets these kids from all over the world. And he's got another great outstanding class getting ready to come in, and they should be ranked number one or number two again this season. I know they're looking at raising money right now. Uh, they're going to be building a 1,500, 1,600-seat gymnasium attached with an auditorium so people, more people can come out and watch it, other uh, games. and uh, But, uh, yeah, so, no, I, I was one of the finalists for uh, the Shocker thing. And, you know, we, it was during the COVID times. So we had to retry out three or four times. It just got to be a mess, and, and quite frankly, I think they already had their mind made up before we even did it, because of the ties with uh, you know the Shocker Network and and KY, which is fine with me. Um, you know, when I left KGSO and all that, they actually did me a favor because I was really getting burnt out, and and I just didn't like the direction that that station was really going at the time, and and uh, uh, it was just time for a change. It was time for me to kind of mentally, uh, I, was, I was getting mentally shut down. And, everything else and it was just time for me to kind of regroup and prioritize what was important for my wife and i absolutely <clears throat> and you brought the name kgso up and that's where we pretty much cut our teeth and yep yep that, i sure did you, know, you were a great operator there yep and uh i'm very grateful for the time that i did get to spend there still got a key don't tell nobody <laughs> oh me too yeah they, they never take your keys away yeah but, but uh <clears throat> One one of the things we also have connections to is Hutchinson Community College, and the crazy part is, we're I'm 54 and you're probably close behind, which means we were at Hutch roundabout the same time. And when you look back on those times and you look at what Hutch has become now, nice stadium, decent football team now they're in the rankings now nationally known. Do you ever stop and think? Why come Hutch couldn't have been that back then when we were there as opposed to what they are now? Well, I just don't think the resources were there at the time. You know, at the time I played there, you know, I came from Ohio. I signed with Iowa State. Assistant coach at Iowa State took the head job at Hutch Juco like eight or nine weeks before I was supposed to report to Iowa State. And he called me and said, hey, I need a quarterback. And so my dad and I, we, we uh, they flew me out, and I liked it, and I signed with them. And, and the facilities weren't great, but it was an opportunity to play right away and get re-recruited. So I, I appreciated that. And I have great fond memories. I've been associated with that school, either playing, coaching, or announcing there for as almost 30, 35 years and involved in that conference. And uh, it's a great conference, one of the top conferences in the nation. And, you know, Hutch uh, Hudson Community College just won the national championship two years ago for the first time ever. And they were so close uh, knocking on the door in the past where they just couldn't get over the hump, you know, and you got Butler, you got Coffeeville, you know, you got, you got a lot of great schools. And now they've added some of the Iowa schools and it's just a great competitive um, uh, league that's uh, uh, a lot of uh, SEC schools, big 12 schools, you know, they tap into that and to fill a spot right away. Bill Snyder built K-State, you know, when he uh, first took over the job at K-State, he built, that school with uh, with uh, junior college right, kids right. to try to win right away, and uh, you know uh, uh, that's still precedent today. That uh, K State still, you know, Butler's a feeding school for them, and Hutch is a feeding school for them, and 
Um, you know, they, they recruit a lot of kids out of there for some of their key spots that they need to fill right away and not lose a, I don't say lose a step, but, you know, it's a lot different when you have two, a guy with two to three years under his belt compared to an incoming freshman. They're going to be wide-eyed a little bit. The speed of the game is different. The physicality of the game is different. The quarters are longer. Uh, the half times are longer. Uh, it's, there's just so many things different. It's more of a job. You know, where high school you play – you, know, you go out afterwards, you play grab ass, you don't worry about if you lost or not. not. You're more worried about where you're going to get something to eat. If your girlfriend still likes you and that sort of thing in college, it's a whole different animal. And, and most most uh, most of the colleges today are, are uh, you know, a grooming process for the NFL, for the guys who want to go to the NFL. That's why the Alabamas, the Ohio States, Georgias, those schools never slip because they get the best of the best and it's a breeding ground for the NFL. And you mentioned that the college game is totally different especially from a mental aspect as opposed to being in high school. And especially when you go in, you got the transfer portal. It seems it seems to be an ever never-ending revolving door. Oh, and to add more to it, you have the NIL. So now college football has become a business entity now. I am. Um, I'm so glad I'm not a coach today. And I, I've talked to Sean Snyder, who's a dear friend of mine, several times. And, you know, it's Bill Snyder's um, son who's just kind of a roam in the country right now. I know he was in uh, Alabama a few weeks ago doing some consulting with Nick Saban on their special teams. and He's just going around and doing some consulting work right now, trying to land that next job after he got let go at USC. But anyways, um, there is um, a, a process that's taken place where the NCAA has ruined college football, in my opinion. You have kids now making more money than assistant coaches. Um, you have you have quarterbacks making, you know, five, six, eight hundred thousand, almost a million dollars a year. What about the linemen that are going to protect your butt every play? What are you doing for them? It's just you're, 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 there's no loyalty anymore. Um, I'm going to the basketball side real quick, but Eric Stevenson, who used to play for Wichita State, went to Wichita State, to Washington, to South Carolina. Now he's going to West Virginia. He's going to four schools in four years. And there's there's no loyalty. You can't build a team. That's why Jay Wright got out. I, I still think that's why Coach K and, and Roy Williams stepped down early. Yeah. And you're going to see that coach is going to get burned out. And basically, you're rebuilding your team every year. And it's just not good for college athletics. Absolutely. We're not teaching the kids anything. Right. And what do you think all this stems from now? I know someone said, you know, Band and Brothers and everything, UCLA, and their names splashed on the NCAA, whatever year that was. But some people say, well, the coaches can get up and leave when they want to and go to this school. Why can't the players do it? And now this is what we're left with. And then you have an NCAA president, Mark Emmert, who goes on record and says, basically, he's getting ready to step down. And if you can find his replacement sooner, that'll be more better. And it sounds as if he's saying, you know, let the next guy fix this problem. Am I right in assessing that? Yeah, he's getting the hell out while he can, and I don't blame him. I mean, but he's part of the problem. He he helped create this mess, you know. And, and you had you had the government step in for a while, Congress. It's just it's just become it's it's come become no pun intended with your show. But it's come become the runaway train, and uh, it's, uh, it's I, I I don't know if anybody can get that back. I don't know if you can reel this back in because now the kids are getting the money. You know, scholarships used to be a big deal. I mean. I mean, when, when I was told I had a full ride scholarship, oh, my, my mom and dad did, did happy dance. So now players are going, well, how much am I making a year? You know, am I getting the four or $500,000 deal or what am I, what's my name, image, and likeness going to be here? You know, what's, what's my contract going to be? You, know, you give my mom, a grandmother a new car or, 
it's just there's just a lot of negotiation going on and and kids are narrowing down their schools not towards the best facilities the best school that's going to fit their needs they're going for the best offer exactly. and our 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 our, um, our you know our, our um goals and ideas have changed you know our ethics have changed and it's just it's not good and right. don't get me wrong i'm a big college football fan i'm a big nfl fan but you know you might as well take college football off the table because it's really not college football anymore because it's not amateur athletics they're all getting paid now right and you know there was a big fuss made when nick saban called out uh jimbo fisher but he also picked on Deion sanders yeah Deion sanders basically basically said this in a nutshell he said he wasn't talking to me he wasn't talking to jimbo he was talking to those alabama people he was talking to those boosters because if you stop and think about it it kind of makes sense Texas A&M, they're in what state? Texas. How many billionaires they have? What, 38 billionaires in the state of Texas? So they got yeah. resources. Then there's Alabama. So even though Nick Saban called them out, do you think Deion Sanders was right in his assessment of who Nick Saban was really talking to? Yeah, you know, uh, um, Jimbo Fisher lost his ever-living mind when, when you know, he, he, he pretty much called Nick Saban everything in the book, if you read between the lines. And, yeah. Dion was trying to play it cool, and I know Dion was a little upset as well. The bottom line is, this, Nick Saban has no reason to throw darts at anybody else because I'm sure they've done it, done some things in the past as well. They, they I know they're a great football team. He's a great coach, but um, it's hard to maintain that high level, and he's been able to do that ever since he stepped foot on the campus of Alabama. And uh, you know they not they've not uh, won every national championship, but they've been pretty damn close. And uh, I just, uh, I don't know what it is, Anthony. I, I, you know, that's like, you know, schools fleeing the Big 12, going to the SEC. Well, let me tell you something. Bob Bowlesby, who used to be the commissioner for the Big 12, he just stepped down. He, it's all his fault the Big 12 is, is where they're at today. He allowed Texas to have their own network. Therefore, the Big 12 could not have their own network where they could divide all the monies up between all the schools, like the Big 10, the SEC, the Big 10. Rutgers, who sucks in college football, Maryland, those schools, they shared the same amount. They got the same check as Michigan and Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan State, and all those guys, Iowa, Wisconsin. They got the same check as Rutgers got because um, of the Big Ten Network. They got $10.78 million, almost $11 million just from football revenue for, from the Big Ten Network. Big 12, no money because there's no network. So, that, you know, there's additional revenue going into their programs, athletic programs, that the Big 12 is missing out on because Texas had took the network. Huge mistake. And that's why teams are start, we're fleeing you know, to the school where they can get that extra revenue or to the league where they can get that extra revenue. So what is the landscape of the Big 12 going to be moving forward? Because now there is a report out basically saying, OU in Texas won't be in the SEC until – 2025 right which surprised me i really thought they'd make the leap after this coming year and they still might they can change that but i really thought it was going to take about two years to get things right recruit the right kids because they don't have the right kids to play in the sec right now and it, it takes time to to develop get your strategies in line your philosophies in line uh and get everything lined out of how what direction you want to go and and, and, and then go from there i i think uh you know, the schools coming into the Big 12, I believe it's what, Cincinnati, Houston, and maybe BYU. Is that is BYU one of them, too, or something BYU. like that? Right. I just, uh, I mean, 
you, you know, all they do is rob from another great con- American conference. Now, where's that going to leave them? You know, it just, it's just the rich get richer and those guys that, you know, are down at the lower level, just, you know, it's, it's going to affect those conferences. What ESPN is trying to do is have four major conferences and have all these teams, the top tier teams, be in these conferences aligned and have an East and West in each conference and then play for a, a conference championship. And where that then goes to the final four for college football playoff. That's what they're trying to do. So basically, off what you just said, we can hang up the thought of expansion in the college football playoff. I don't see it happening anytime soon. I, I think they've evaluated the last two years. I think, realistically, in my opinion, I think eight teams is the magic number. I really do. You have five power conferences right now. Those five, five, five power conferences and the top three rated teams that aren't involved uh, in the in the championship, then you bring those teams into for eight teams, top four seeds, get home field advantage first round, and then you go to neutral sites. That's that's the way I think it needs to be played out. That that sounds like Scott needs to be on that board of regents so they can get this <laughs> get her done. Well let me ask you this question before I let you go. Do you have a okay for the for old time's sake, do you have a sports spouse with styles moment? At, at where? A sports spouse with style. Do you have one of those moments for me? Oh man. Let me think. And it could be any sport. Golf, racing, baseball, any. Um Boy, you caught me off guard here, Anthony. I don't have a sports files of styles ready for you. My bad. But uh <laughs> but I I sure did like that series though. That was a that was always a fun series and everything it was great to have that platform to do that and i i ran into a guy you remember wild man willie wild man willie you know what next time i get you on make sure we get wild man willie and we're gonna have a three-way convo (laughs) so he had a guy that we record all those and he has like three hours of sports files of styles and stupid interviews that i did over the six years i was i I did that and uh it's it's quite a hoot because it brings back a lot of great memories and and everything. I, I guess one of the one of them was um, oh the, it, was, it was the running back who played for Nebraska and he went to prison. And um, um, anyways, he 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 hung himself in prison because he knew he was wrong. He did a murder or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and Doug down Doug was a huge Nebraska fan and right. And somebody called and said, I wonder what he's doing now. And I said, he's probably just hanging around. It's a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God, the lights blew up on the phone. I'm like, how could you say something like that? It just it just came out wrong. I don't know. It just came out wrong. But, but uh, yeah. But, um, anyways, no, I, I, I appreciate those, those times. It, it's uh, got my name out there a little bit and got me some traction with other things that I wanted to do. And, I still get stopped to this day. People come up and say, man, I sure do miss you on that show. And, and so it's not the same. And, you know, it life goes on, you know, right. you, you know that as well. You know, right. it goes on. And, and I, I appreciate your friendship and all these years and looking forward to having many more with you. Absolutely. Like I say, next time I'll give you like a two weeks heads up, maybe three weeks. I'll have, I'll have a, and I'll, I'll be like, get that sports files ready and get wild man Willie and Xavier McDaniel on the phone. <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Uh, yeah. No problem doing that for you. Well, once again, I want to thank you for hopping on board the A-Training Sports Talk podcast. And uh, 
there will be more of these to come. I will also be unveiling my new uh, logo. But I want to thank you once again, and I want the audience to give it up for one Mr. Scott Styles. I appreciate Thanks again for inviting me on, and uh, happy uh, 200th episode. We'll see you on the other side of the tracks. All right. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Once again, my guest, my good friend, my brother, Scott Styles. Well, what I am going to do right here, I've had Mike Candy on. I've had Scott Styles on. I am going to take a break right here, and when I come back, whichever direction the train goes is the direction we all go. So, hold tight. Right back. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast 200th episode. 200 episodes. Be right back on the other side of the track. the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! Declines a 47.4 million option with the 76ers. And when you hear why, that may even surprise you even more. But report goes on says James Harden will decline a 47.4 million dollar option on his contract for the 2020 for the 2022-23 NBA season with the Philadelphia 76ers, according to the Athletics Sham Sharania. He intends to work out a new contract with the team per the report. As he tweeted out, Philadelphia 76 star James Harden is declining a $47.4 million player option for the 2022-23 season and intends to return on a contract in free agency that gives the team financial flexibility to bolster the roster sources tell at the athletic at stadium. He was always eligible this season for a maximum contract worth roughly $270 million over the next five years, regardless of whether or not he picked up the option. And that remains the case after this decision. Ask in the aftermath of this past season if he plans to stay in Philadelphia. Harden said, I'll be there. 
Offering Harden anything close to his max salary would mean widely overpaying a one-time MVP in steep decline. His average has dipped from a historically efficient 33.7 points per game from 2017 through 2020 when he led the league in scoring each year to 22 points on 41-30-33-88 shooting splits in 65 games for the Sixers and Brooklyn Nets last season. His production during Philadelphia's second-round playoff exit was worse. Over the past two years, Harden has quit on the Nets and Houston Rockets, reporting to both teams out of shape and forcing trades from each. It is no coincidence he has battled hamstring injuries since April 2021. Harden left a chance to win a championship with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on the Oklahoma City Thunder in favor of a more prominent role with the Rockets in 2012. The move translated to incredible statistical and financial success as six as six top MVP finishes sent his career earnings net of $300 million. His helicentric brand of basketball also fractured partnerships with all-NBA stars Dwight Howard, Chris Paul, Westbrook, Durant, and Kyrie Irving over the past six years. Still, the Sixers tied prime years of back-to-back MVP runner-up Joel Embiid to Harden in a February trade that sent Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond and two future first-round draft picks to the Nets. The move was made by former Rockets and current Sixers executive Daryl Morey, who has linked his career to Harden for a decade. The hope is that Harden's recommitment to Morey will result in a healthy career resurgence for a 33-year-old. The question is how much longer Philadelphia wants to tie the careers of Embiid and Harden together. Harden indicated at season's end he could be open to a contract that pays him less than his full max, telling reporters whatever allows this team to grow and get better and do the things necessary to win. Bleachers report Jake Fisher reported earlier this month that Harden and the Sixers were expected to reach an agreement on a shorter-term contract extension this summer, and ESPN's Adrian Wojnarowski later confirmed that report, hinting at a significant commitment that runs through the 2024-25 season that would bring Embiid past his 31st birthday and halfway through the four-year maximum contract extension he recently signed. Embiid has made clear anything short of a championship is a failure in his mind and Harden has delivered anything but a title. Something must give next season or the Sixers run the risk of losing a disgruntled franchise player to trade demands a feeling familiar to Maury in Houston. Also, in some other news, Joe Burrow breaks his silence after Supreme Court ruling overturning Roe v. Wade. And we are going to see what it is he had to say.
Not too long ago, Cincinnati Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow made a splash by again using this platform to stand up for what he believes in while discussing the topic of gun reform. Monday, he used his Instagram account to make it clear where he stands in the wake of the U.S. Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade in a six-week abortion ban becoming law in the state of Ohio. Via an Instagram story, Burrow shared a viral post from platforms like Instagram and Facebook with attribution to the source account and didn't add any of his own text. The post in question says, I'm not pro-murdering babies. I'm pro-Becky who found out at her 20-week anatomy scan that the infant she had been so excited to bring into this world had developed without life-sustaining organs. I'm pro-Susan, who who was sexually assaulted on her way home from work, only to come to the horrific realization that her assailant planted his seed in her when she got a positive pregnancy treat, treat result, test result a month later. I'm pro-Teresa, who hemorrhaged due to a placental abruption, causing her parents, spouse, and children to have to make the impossible decision on whether to save her or her unborn child. I'm pro-little Kathy, who had her innocence ripped away from her by someone who should have been able by someone she should have been able to trust and her 11-year-old body isn't mature enough to bear the consequences of that betrayal. For context, this is the entirety of the post, which was, which has multiple pages, which we're not going to get into all that, read all that, but Burroughs' post advocates for abortion rights in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling Ohio's abortion ban has an exception to save the life of a patient, but make no rape or incest exceptions. While the NFL itself has remained oddly quiet on the development, as Bengal fans know by now, that's just not how Burrow carries himself, despite admitting he does his best to avoid the limelight that comes with being an NFL quarterback. To this end, it's a nuanced thing for Burrow to share that not to share that knowledge acknowledges the complexities of the issue and is right in line with how he chooses to use his platform when it comes to outside matters. So that's a little bit of sports news right there. Also, I look at. Angels Mike Trout showed teammate how he was tipping pitches while in center field. The White Sox scored five runs in the seventh inning and broke open their game Tuesday in Anaheim, California. Chicago beat the Angels 11-4, but the score was 5-3 when L.A. relief pitcher Elvis Paguro took the mound in the seventh. 
White Sox opened the frame with a walk, a single, a double, and another walk, leading to Pagura being pulled from the game. In center field, Angel star Mike Trout seemed to be trying to get a message across to Pagura. You're tipping your pitches. Trout even appeared to be showing exactly how the White Sox were picking up what pitch was coming. The Athletics' Sam Blum talked to Pagura and Angels bench coach Ray Montgomery about Trout's deductive skills. Pagura said he checked out the video of Trout and realized he was he indeed was tipping his pitch, pitches. Did, did ask Ray Montgomery if the Angels were aware of the pitch tipping in real time. We spent a lot of time, obviously. Mike sees stuff, players all over the field sees things like that. So we're always working on that. That one in particular, I think we were looking at after. And that's from a tweet by Sam Blum at Sam Blum 3. So just a little bit of sports brief right there to bring you up to date as to what's going on in the world of sports. And there is a whole lot more going on that we will possibly get to. Right now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take a break and wait for my guest to call. So we will be back with you on the other side. So I hope you are enjoying this 200th edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'm having a blast bringing it to you. And like I said, a special shout out to Kennedy, voice of the Shockers. Also, one of the voices that you hear on the Wichita Open that comes around annually. Also, my good friend, we go a long ways back. He is the reason I have access to so many people. I've had Jody Adams on as a guest. Uh, it's just been an amazing journey that I've made it to 200. And like I say, a lot of thanks goes out to Scott Stiles. We cut our teeth together at KGSO. I was just nothing more than the board op. He was that voice that you heard on the radio every morning, and it's a voice that is to this day still missed. Uh, yes, I know I'm going to a break, but I'm just giving my shout outs and my kudos to two guys that I look up to who I want to say has an influence on me in this podcast. I've had people on that are other influences that was actually on my 100th episode, like a Chris Allison. So, what I'm just doing right now, I'm just simply taking the time out to say thank you. Thank you. When I come back with my next guest, that's going to be because of Scott Styles. This guy's had this guy has connections to Wichita State. Played basketball at Wichita State. And that's all I'm going to take. You want to know the rest? Stick with me on stick with the train. Keep your seatbelt on, definitely, because the next ride is going to take you somewhere south. A Transports Talk Podcast, Anthony Smith.
It is the A Train Sports Talk Podcast, your podcast for sports and so much more. Thank you for listening to the A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. If you would like to have your ad or sponsor a segment on here, simply reach out to me at 316 553 2010 or you can simply email me. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. That's a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com. Once again, it's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. The A Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. Grab your tickets, get on board, and enjoy the ride. It's the A Train Sports Talk Podcast. All aboard! saying a lot 200 episodes anyway picking up another passenger that some of you are going to be elated to hear this voice he's from columbus from the great state of south carolina good things do come out of south carolina this young man if i may reference him as young was the only player and the first player to lead the nation in both scoring and rebounding he played at Wichita State University where he made his mark and became known as an intimidator, one of the first college players to sport the ball look and have the intimidating look. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the A-Train Sports Talk podcast, Wichita's favorite, Xavier McDaniel. Hey, how's it going, man? It's going good. It's going good. Just finished up with basketball camp a couple hours ago. And yes, I see you still make those Wichita journeys, always giving back free backpacks. I've seen it on Scott Styles' Facebook page. So you're constantly always giving, and that's much appreciated because we live in a time where everybody's after the almighty dollar and don't mind charging, even if whatever the case is for the people that have to pay this. So we thank you for what you're doing, always giving back to the game of basketball that was good to you and always looking out after the youth. So as I mentioned in the lead in first player, first player to lead the nation in both scoring and rebounding. And at that time, Wichita State was playing some stiff competition just in the Valley alone. So who were your, who were some of your stiffest, competitors that you went up with against? Oh, ain't no, ain't no doubt about it. Tulsa, Bradley, Illinois State, Creighton with Big Bo- Benjamin back in the day. Um, those were some of the better teams in the conference at that time. Absolutely. Now, I'll, I want to go on record 
and saying this is a, I believe this is an actual quote from you because by you being the rebounding force that you were at six foot seven, 205 pounds, give or take a few, uh-huh. you were relentless on the boards. And there was a quote that said, if you were seven foot four, basically taking a shot at Ralph Samson, that you would lead the nation in rebounding every year. Do you remember uh-huh. that quote? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah, I do remember that quote. I remember that as if it was yesterday. I I know that uh, I uh, uh, was a little bit bigger than I was seven foot four. I tell you, I might be still playing in the NBA. To be honest, I mean, I would have played a lot more years and stuff. But uh, uh, being at my size and and uh, I knew I had to come a different way every night. I had to come hard. I had to run. A lot of people don't realize a lot of my rebounds came off a second shot where uh, I throw an outlet. And when we take the shot, I will, uh, I would, I would beat, I will beat the bigger guys down floor, uh, down the floor, and I would either get the rebound, dunk it back in, or lay it back up. That's where I got a lot of rebounds at in transition. Mm-hmm. Now, your freshman year, you were part of the class, I believe, with Aubrey Sherrod, if I'm correct. And I'm trying to remember if Greg Drowling was part of that group. Yes, Greg Drowling. Uh, it was me, Aubrey, Greg Drowling, and Cedric Phillips. Cedric Phillips. Okay, I remember him. Yeah, we were the four came in, but Cedric left out our sophomore year. Greg right. left out our freshman year, so it became just me and Aubrey. Right, and yeah, Greg did the ultimate no-no. He transferred to the in-state rival that we refer to as K-Who. Right. And and the funny thing, I I seen Greg three weeks ago at his reunion. We just talk and laugh. I never call him Greg. I always call him GD. Right. So uh, I, I looked at his wife and said, boy, you left us, boy. I said, you left us, boy. He transferred. His wife said, he didn't leave for basketball. I said, I know why he left. Because even in the NBA, we didn't talk a lot, but we would speak and shake hands. And it was probably the first time since college, since our freshman year, for almost 40 years ago, mm-hmm. 1981. Uh, I think that's 41 years ago to be exact. We played together and go so fast. really not have a big conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned the NBA. And my, my claim to my conversations, every time I look back on that draft class, which also included Patrick Ewing, and that's where I'm going to stop at right there. Uh-huh. I think Patrick Ewing owes you his Rookie of the Year award. And the reason I say that, and I believe uh, Wayman Tisdale was in that class as well, too. And here's the reason I say that. If it's all about the body of work, well, I remember Patrick Ewing already having early knee problems. So he didn't play the whole season. As a matter of fact, I think what should have run Rookie of the Year award was when you actually went heads up against Patrick Ewing and tried to dunk on him. So that you were not afraid of anybody. So that trophy should have went to you. And second place runner probably should have been 
Wayman Tisdale because if you look at the body of work and look at the stats, you had the stats to prove that you deserved that reward. But I think a lot of it came down to politics and marketing. He was in New York. You were in Seattle. Right. I, I, I agree with you. I felt like I should have run rookie of the year because of the body of work that I did. I played 82 games, which is 100% of the games. And he played 50 games, which is about uh, a little over 60, maybe 61% of the games. Um, and I just felt like with what I've done, you take 32 of my worst games, uh, and then against his 50 games, I just think I had a better season than he, he did. And, and he doesn't agree with it. But I said, come on, Patrick, you realistic. You know, if somebody plays 82 and you play 50, come on now. But uh, it's what it is. I'm, I'm not mad. I'm not upset. But I still do believe that I was the best player in that draft. Right. And I still believe to this day. Uh, fortunately, I hurt my knee in 88. And then I got traded. And then got traded again, and then signed as a free agent. I played for like four teams in two years, and mm-hmm. so uh, I think a little bit of what I had going on the first six or seven years got derailed with the trading and stuff, and with me getting a little older and me getting a little bad. But I tell people all the time, I ain't afraid to mention. Carl Malone had a great, great career. Chris Mullins had a great career. Patrick Ewing had a great career, and they all Hall of Famers. But I still say I was the best player in that draft. I was probably pro-ready than any of those guys. Yeah. And if you go look at the numbers early in my career, it tells. Now, they did have a little bit longevity to me because once I left Seattle, my playing time decreased each year from each team. Mm-hmm. If you don't look at that, I went from playing 35 minutes a game in Seattle to 32 minutes a game in Phoenix, then 28 minutes in New York, 28 again in Boston. 26 and 21 minutes I played my last two years in Boston and then 13 and, and about seven minutes a game in, in, in New Jersey. So uh, where they continue to excel and be with the same team, Patrick New York and Chris Mullins and and um, Golden State and, and Carmelone in Utah. But I still say in that draft, pro-ready, I mm-hmm. think I was ready than anybody in that draft. Absolutely. Now <clears throat> we're still talking NBA. This past this past season, namely the uh, playoffs, there were three guys on one team, the team that you actually played with, the Boston Celtics, uh, Marcus Smart, uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. They pulled off a feat where each player scored twenty plus points. And the first thing I thought about was, well, they did that in the game but there's only one team that can boast this claim that had three players that averaged 20 points during the whole entire season. That was the Seattle team with Xavier McDaniel, Dale Ellis, and who was was it Tom Chambers or was it Dan Marley by that time? Tom Chambers. Right. And if anything, if there was any such thing as a super team like they're trying to build nowadays, Seattle had the original super team with three guys averaging 20-plus points a game. Tell me about that well, team. Well, well, when you're talking about, like, we had the three – we were the only trio to score 23 or more points. No one has ever done that. Right. Now, they said that 
Marcus Smart then was the first to do it. But I know somebody done it because Dan Hitzel and Kika Vandewey and Alex Reeves probably did that back in the early 80s. I know me and Tom against the Houston Rockets. I, I can't remember what everybody had, but I know Tom and Dale had 30-something, and I had 20, 28 in a double overtime game. So um, maybe they were just talking about over the last 10 years or so. I don't know. but uh, And then think about the Lakers with Worthy and Magic and mm-hmm. Kareem and Byron Scott. I know they had guys who scored at least three people scored at least 20 points. So I think they might have been just talking as, as if within the last 20 years or so. So, And I'm not real sure, but uh, I, a lot of times I say the media today tries to find uh, narratives for these kids. Uh, I don't take nothing away from it. I like what they do. I like the body of work. I may not like all the jump shots that everybody is taking. <laughs> Tell me I about it. Nobody in the world can shoot with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. You right. just can't. You find me two shooters that can shoot with them every night outside of his brother Seth, and who would be another shooter that can dead I shoot? Mm-hmm. I don't know no other that could just shoot like them. These guys are shooters. They're not like Damian, Lill- Lill- Damian Lillard, who I think is a scorer, not a shooter. Uh, a lot of people throw him in there, but I just I, you don't find many shooters. I mean. I mean, I could compare Dale Ellis and Dale Curry mm-hmm. or Larry Bird with those guys and shoot. But, you know, shooters are, are very special. And when you got them, and then, you know, the NBA, just like all sports and all people, they are copycats. Right. They're copycats. Right. So now you're looking for shooters. And now you got the whole league. You even got the center shoot. And right. so i just be glad when a, another big man comes. So we can get back to that grind in basketball, and we may not never get back to it. But if we do, it would be such a pleasant sight to see. Because to me, that is when basketball was real. When you had the guys down low, clogging up the paint, throwing the elbows, having little dust ups, and you know that that reminds me because there are some stories out about one Xavier McDaniel, and there was one. Well, before I mention his name because you have already denied that claim, but he said because of you, it made him the pro that he is. And that would be the Gary Payton story. So was there really a sleeper hole that took place in practice or not? Because he has not changed his story. Yeah, i seen him. He said, yeah, you did, man. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I said, Gary, I, I didn't do that to you, man. I said, he said, yeah, you did. I said, Gary, why don't I remember that? I do not remember that. Uh, at all. So he said it happened. I just don't remember it. I don't remember it. I don't never remember him, me and him getting into it because I never really asked Gary to do a lot. You know, sometimes rookies can be a little, I ain't doing, I ain't doing nothing. I ain't doing nothing because when I was a rookie, I did things. I didn't want to do it, but it was said that's what rookies do. Right. So if I had to tote the film projector, jump the trainer with bags, I, I just did it. But I, I just don't remember that. At all. I mean, he said it happened. I just don't remember. And then I guess in every locker room in the NBA, there's always that one male that has to show that he he's the man. And there was a story that said how you exhibited that you were the man in the locker room. 
even to the point to where when you got traded to the New York Knicks, first day, uh, the first day, who does Xavier McDaniel get into it with? Anthony Mason. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, the late Mason, uh, that whole thing started because we were scrimmaging and I had must have blocked about three or four sh- his shots. And I was like, get that crap out of here. Get that crap. I wasn't saying crap. Right. But, uh, and I think he took exception to it. And we got into it. He kind of stole on me. And I was just coming after him, you know. And uh, Pat Riley was going to find me because I wasn't trying to let it go. I'm from a neighborhood. Yeah, my man can't, can't hit me and get away with it. Right. But we became good friends, you know, after that, you know. Uh, and I mean, I had a fight with Oak, me and Oak, in the first day of practice. I can see that, Pat too. Riley, Pat Raleigh got that on. He he showed that. He said, well, I'm going to show you a, a, a film. And the film was me and Oakley fighting together, fighting each other. Mm-hmm. And then he cut it off after the fight was over with. He said, now we fight together. You know, people look past that. Some people do. They look past that because uh, there's some guys that, you know, I pretty much, I really, I got a real distaste for. Mm-hmm. You know, I got a real big distaste for Dennis Rodman. I just thought he was dirty. The NBA allowed him to get away with that crap. Mm-hmm. There's no way you can get away with that on the blacktop. You hit somebody in their private, uh, you got to, and they know you did it. I mean, there's a difference when you did it accidental. But when you see someone did it, and he did it twice to me in the game, officials didn't call nothing. So what do you do? You, you have to take it in your own hand. I, I, I don't like play. I'm going to play hard. And, and if you talk to anybody, they'll never say, he's going to play hard. He's going to hit the shit out of you. Mm-hmm. But they never call me dirty. Right. I've never been called a dirty player. Right. So, uh, and I don't take hard hits because I, I, I get up. I tell people all the time, I play James Worthy six times while me and him ain't never got into it. Right. You know, I play Mark McGuire while we ain't never got into it. Five times. Or Rodney McCray. It's just certain guys, you're going to get into it. You, you, you're going to clean. I mean, I take an elbow, and, and as long as it's accidental, I'm fine because I know I'm going to hit somebody with one, mm-hmm. you know. It's with the intent. And, and I've, I've had that intent where I've knocked some people out too with that one. So. But uh, just some guys I just got real bad distaste for. I don't think we could ever sit in the same room. Right. So with that being said, you mentioned Dennis Rodman. So if you were in the days game, Draymond Green, I'm pretty sure there would be some angst. I'm going to be honest. I think if me and Draymond Green played against each other, it'll be a great game because we both going to battle. I'm not going to fight nobody that's playing hard or somebody who's outplaying me. That has never been an issue. My issue is trying to compete on the same level that he's competing on. But see, this is where guys, this is why guys get into it. See, Dennis Robinson, he's supposed to be this great defensive player. And I'm an offensive guy, and I get the best of you, then you get dirty with me. Now you're trying to take my, my game by hitting me in my private or something, mm-hmm. which means I'm probably going to get kicked out the game, you know? So uh, I don't think I have a problem with Draymond Green. I think he play. I like him. Okay. You know, a lot of people, because he speaks his mind. Okay. Uh, uh, he just, a lot of people don't like him because he speaks his mind, but, I, I mean, I like him. Okay, so here's going to be my final question because we're going on 20 minutes and I don't want to keep you no longer than I have to. But this is going to be like a twofold question. Today's college game and today's NBA game. Has it turned soft? 
in some instance, I, I think, now let me just go to college first. It's not just even the game itself. Who do you know in college basketball right now? Outside a few people, who do you know in college basketball? Nobody. I mean, college basketball, I mean, this is pretty much non-existent to me, really. You know, you don't know no players unless you're watching the McDonald's All-American. I don't know but two people, Xavier Bell and the other kid from last year, Otto, what's his name? Oh, only two kids. Right. Xavier Bell is one that I know. Uh, but other than that, who do you know in college basketball? You got fans coming to the game wondering who, what 10 or 12 guys going to suit up tonight because they don't know them. So it's kind of sad, but the NBA, I mean, it's a, it's the NBA. It's just about changing, you know, uh, the game is about shooting three pointers now. So what everybody do is shoot three pointers. And just to give you a little example, when Magic Johnson came out of, uh, in, uh, 79, everybody was looking for the big guard. Everybody, everybody looking for the big guard, copycat. The NBA is a, a copycat. Everybody try to do what everybody else do. And so you're never going to beat the Warriors just trying to outshoot them. They're better shooters than you. Simple as that. It's not a game of luck. Some people like me, if I'm going to shoot a game of 30 with Dale Ellis, I'm going to lose majority of those games. And I did because me and him always was paired up. I lost most of those games. He would be shooting I'll be shooting 25 out of 30, and most of my shots are like 15 feet and in. He's shooting like 18 to 20 feet, and he's making 27 out of 30. Hmm. He's a better shooter than me. I, yeah, I may get him one day, but how many days he going to get me? Right. So the league is a copycat league. I'm not going to say it's soft because these guys make so much money now, and the NBA hit them with one-game suspension, and, Twenty and thirty and forty and fifty thousand dollar fine. I probably would be sold too. Think about it. My biggest fine was seventy five hundred dollars, and that was me and Oak fight. I got a one game suspension, and that right there cost me like twenty eight thousand dollars for that one for that for the seventy five hundred in the one game was like twenty eight thousand. I called Ron Thorne and like, man, that's a lot of money, man. And he was like, Xavier, don't get in no more fights. I'll give you the money back. Did he give you the money back? Yes, he gave me the money back. I didn't get in no more fight. That year, he gave me my money back. Absolutely. So, and I almost got in one with, with, with uh, Clyde Drexler because I got suspended and we were, playing, we were playing Detroit. So I flew to Seattle because I couldn't be to the arena. So I flew to Seattle that day and got back to Seattle and we were playing Portland in like a, two days and I almost got in with Clyde Drexler. And Ron Thorne called me and said, Xavier, you about to lose that money. And I said, did you see? He said, I'll tell you what he did. I don't know <laughs> if he fined Clyde, but he was he was trying to to get me into it. And the officials knew what he was doing, too. And I said, y'all know what they're doing. These guys keep doing it until you do something. Because they know you just got suspended. Mm-hmm. But, uh, luckily, I held my cool enough that I didn't get kicked out or didn't draw any technicals. But... Uh, I did receive my money one day in the mail. I got a check. I was like, oh, crap. He did send me my money. So, all right. But the guys just get fired. So, it, 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 just think about it. It, it. it would be tough. So, I think I might be soft, too. 
that somebody gonna find me fifty grand. Fifty grand feed a lot of people, man. Well, I, I put this way: I wouldn't call it soft. In today's world, when they say, "Are you working hard?" I say, "No, I'm not working hard. I'm working smart." So basically, what you did was you played smart and got your money back. Right. So that's how that works. Well, X, yeah. I want to thank you for taking out the time because this was definitely impromptu. I mean, I could ask a plethora of questions, but that would take a whole another segment. But I want to thank you for joining me, making my 200th episode a grand episode. And we'll have to do this one more time because, like I said, there's so much I want to ask you. But thank you for this time. Appreciate it. All right. You got my number anytime. All right. Thank you. You ain't got to worry about if I'm going to change it because I had the same number for 25 years. All right. then. That that sounds like me with this number. So, yeah. Once again, people, Xavier McDaniel on the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. I'll be back to wrap it up after this. Thank you. Once again, Xavier McDaniel. Yes, you heard it. The Xavier McDaniel, the first player to ever lead the nation, college basketball, to lead the nation in college basketball in scoring and rebounding in the same year. Well, I want to thank all of my guests that showed up on the train like Kennedy Scott Styles and like I say Scott has made it so where I've met a lot of people and he was basically the not basically he was the man that made that possible for me to talk to Xavier McDaniel so once again give it up for all those who showed up well that's going to do it for me, the 200th episode. I can't say how elated I am to have made it this far. And there's going to be more to come. I have X's number. There is so much more I want to ask him, but time would not permit. But I've enjoyed this day. I've enjoyed my guests. Those of you who are listening at this podcast, I hope you enjoyed as well. Give me some feedback. I did have a little sports brief moment in there as I was killing time to wait for my guests. But it all worked out. This was well worth it. The 200th episode, I'll say like it was worth the wait to get some guests on, especially that one Scott Styles because he used to kid me about making a 15-minute podcast. Well, now, as you can see, this episode is actually running way longer than any 15 minutes, but I had some good people on here. Had a little bit of sports brief moment. So, once again, I hope you have enjoyed the ride. Until the next time, take care of yourself, each other. God bless you. And once again, all I can do is say thank you, thank you, thank you for helping me get this far. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. We're bringing the train into the station. Have a nice one.